0: We are wrapping up our study of the Holy Spirit, and today we're going to talk about the main reason that we are indwelled by the Spirit. This is, I believe, the primary way in which the Holy Spirit is our helper. Uh, and if you want a broad category to put all of this under, it would be our sanctification. Uh, the Spirit indwells us in order to make us more like Christ. Uh, if you remember that quote from R.C. Sproul I shared last week, basically uh, saying that the filling of the Spirit, the main purpose, is so that. Uh, we can be empowered to live you know the Christian life as as God would have us, and so um uh, the spirit indwells us to make us more like christ and I would say if the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to make us holy, uh then it would follow that the greatest indication that someone is indwelled by the spirit would be their spiritual growth. Uh, we tend to think of people that are uh, you know really filled with the spirit as oh they're they're the ones that you know get their prayers answered quickly or some sort of more supernatural thing, as opposed to somebody you know the the best evidence that somebody is filled with the spirit is that they 're living like Christ that they 're displaying the fruits of the spirit in their life, and so uh, the best indicator for your own just spiritual walk as to whether or not you are filled with the spirit and dwelled with the spirit is are you growing in personal holiness? Uh, this is one of the best indicators of whether or not you are a Christian because if the spirit is in you, this is what he does uh, he sanctifies us over time so that we grow more and more into holiness. Uh, God said through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Excuse me, notice verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so you see there the, the connection between God giving us the Holy Spirit, putting His Spirit within us, and and what the effect of that is, is it causes us to walk in His statutes, be careful to obey His rules. And so um, this is, again, obviously pre-Pentecost. This is Ezekiel talking about the future New Testament and saying that when the Holy Spirit indwells God's people, it will cause them to live according to the commands of Scripture. All right, uh, 1 Peter 1.1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, "...to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ." Notice again the connection between, uh, you know, t- obviously they're talking about Christians that have been uh, called according to the foreknowledge of God, sanctified by the Spirit for obedience. And so the reason that the Holy Spirit has set us apart and dwelled us is so that we could obey Christ." Uh, And this becomes very clear in Galatians 5, where we'll see the contrast uh, shown there of the works of the flesh versus the works of the Spirit. And again, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, as we call them, these are not supernatural things. These are simply living like Christians, uh, displaying those fruits of the Spirit. That is the evidence that Paul gives us of somebody who is truly converted. So Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So he's saying there are, as natural, sinful humans, we have our flesh, which uh, drives us to sin. Uh, the flesh desires sinful things, as we see listed in verses 19 through 21. These are going to be the actions of somebody who is fleshly. In other words, someone who does not possess the Holy Spirit, but is simply driven by their Uh, Natural desires, and so an unsaved person will be driven by verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, uh, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are uh, characteristic behavior. Of the unconverted, people that are simply living out their fleshly desires. And then notice the contrast, in starting in verse 22, between somebody who is uh, filled with the Spirit. Okay, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, so this is the evidence that someone is converted and has the indwelling Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, so uh, verses 19 to 21, those are evidences of someone who is unregenerate. Verses 22 to 23 are evidences or fruit of somebody who is indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And so if you are a Christian, then this is what your life will look more and more like. Uh, that's not to say that these proofs of the Spirit's work in your life will appear all at once the moment that you're converted. Okay, obviously, uh, that is not the case. But rather, that over the course of your life, as you follow Jesus, the Spirit will cause you to display these attributes more and more. And So we should see these uh, fruits growing in our lives. By the way, notice there in verse 22 that Paul does not call these the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit. Okay, It's singular. Meaning that these are inseparable from one another. Uh, you can't just kind of take one and say, well, I'm, I'm pretty joyful. I'm pretty good at the peace one, but uh, I'm not very loving or patient or gentle. No, these are all fruit of the Spirit. And so if the Spirit is in us, all of these should be more and more visible the longer that we follow Christ. And if they aren't, that should lead us to ask if we are truly converted. Uh, 1 John 3.24, John says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know That he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Okay, so the way that we know we are saved is whether or not we have the Holy Spirit abiding in us. And the beginning of the verse is saying the way that we know whether or not we have the Spirit abiding in us is whether or not we are keeping his commandments. This is what the Spirit does. And uh, essentially, John's point throughout much of this epistle is that if somebody is truly converted to Jesus and has the Spirit uh, indwelling them, and there's no change in their life, Uh, Those two things cannot be together. There will be a a manifest change if someone is truly converted to Christ. Uh, The idea that somebody can be truly converted, have the Holy Spirit, and go on living in sin is completely foreign to the biblical teaching of conversion. I mean, just consider what we saw in Galatians a minute ago, right? He lists these uh, attributes of fleshly desires and says people who do these things are not inheriting the kingdom of God. They're, They're not Christians. But the fruit of the Spirit is the opposites. Okay, so uh, over and over in Scripture, we see that when the Spirit indwells someone, a radical transformation takes place in their life. And this is not simply uh, that Christians are just kind of working harder on their own to be better people. No, this is evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in someone's life. There may be a transformation right at the moment of conversion, but beyond that, there's a lifetime of growth and struggle as a Christian. As we, uh, you know, the Spirit doesn't force us instantly to do right and just stop sitting. He doesn't override our will. Instead, the Spirit convicts us of sin and urges us to do right, and progressively throughout our life, uh, we are to be led more and more by the Spirit, to follow His leading in our life instead of fighting against it. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18 is one of the best verses I, I find in the New Testament on sanctification. It says, We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And this is a description of what we've been talking about progressive sanctification. That the Spirit transforms us from the inside out as we behold the glory of the Lord. This transformation is from one degree to another. You see the process of growth there. And as we study Scripture, both personally and with the body of Christ, we are beholding Christ. Uh, We are beholding the glory of the Lord. And we're learning. What it means to live a life that is pleasing to God. And as we do so, as we are immersed in Scripture, beholding the glory of the Lord, the Spirit transforms us over time. And so, when we see in 1 John and Galatians that the indwelling of the Spirit will evidence itself in these ways, we should examine those fruits, understanding that this is a gradual process. Uh, In other words, uh, don't just read Galatians 5 and say, I'm not perfectly loving or perfectly patient or perfectly joyful. Uh, I must not be a Christian, a better way to evaluate your life is to look back to the time when you came to Christ and ask, has there been progress in these areas? Um, can I look back five, ten years and see uh, a pattern of growth in my life in these ways, in, in love, in joy, in peace, in gentleness, self-control, and so forth? All right, so putting this all together then, we said uh, last week that all Christians have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Uh, the, the indwelling of the Spirit is permanent. He is not leaving us. Uh, You cannot get any more or less of the Spirit. But it is up to us to follow His leading or ignore it. It is possible, the New Testament tells us, to resist the Spirit's work in our life. And so we have to hold um, two truths in tension with one another. First, if someone is truly indwelled by the Spirit, the New Testament makes clear there will be evidence of that in the way that we live. But at the same time, the New Testament also makes clear that we can fight against the Spirit's work in our sanctification, at least to some extent. Uh, Paul makes this clear in Ephesians 4, beginning verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so he's giving there, basically saying, put off the old man, put on the new. Right? Put off the anger and the stealing and the corrupt talking and the lying. Those are all listed there. And basically, live this new life that God's calling you to. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So he's saying them, you know, throughout this text, giving us practical ways in which Christian behavior ought to change, and he says, Don't grieve the Spirit's work in your life. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Yes, true Christians who are sealed by the Spirit can grieve him, right? He just said that. We can grieve. Don't do this. You know, put off the old man. Live the life that God's calling you to. We can fight against the Spirit's leading in our life, but only up to a point. Uh, He makes clear there in that last verse, if you're just living an immoral life, for example, Paul says, you are not a part of God's kingdom, and you can be sure of that, he says, um, so we can resist the Spirit's work up to a point, but if all we do is resist the Spirit and we have, we're displaying none of the fruits of sanctification, at that point we have to ask if we are truly converted, uh, because the presence of the Spirit will have an effect in our lives. and At the same time, we each play an active role in that. We don't just sit back and say, okay, Spirit, uh, fix my life, you know, change me. No, we have a responsibility to follow the Spirit's leading. Uh, Paul writes again in 1 Thessalonians 5, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Uh, The Greek word there for quench means extinguish. Uh, I think some translations even render it that way. So, you know, you think of a fire extinguisher, you... Uh, spray this on a hot fire and, like, instantly it's just gone. Okay, we can do that to the Spirit. The Spirit's convicting us, and we can just silence Him. Uh, We can just ignore His leading in our life. And Paul says, do not do that. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not ignore His promptings. And so the Spirit indwells all of us believers, but it is up to us to follow His leading or ignore it. And every day we have to make that choice. Are we going to... um, walk in step with the Spirit, as Paul says, or are we going to resist him? Romans eight, verse one, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit is of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but, according to the spirit, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. I think the point Paul is making there in verse five is that our actions, uh, whether we are uh, following the spirit's leading or not, is a direct uh, outflow of our minds, our thinking. What we think about, what we set our minds on determines how we will live. It's like in second Corinthians when he says, "As we behold the glory of the Lord." we're being transformed into the same image. And so the more that we can set our minds on spiritual things, the more we are being led by the Spirit. Uh, this is why immersing yourself in Scripture is so vital to each one of our spiritual growth, uh, because it is only by that uh, beholding of the glory of the Lord, by setting our minds on spiritual things, that is how God may, uh, God's Spirit works in us and makes us more like Christ. Uh, verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And the way in which the Spirit assures us that we are children of God is by his leading in our life. Those previous verses that if we're being led by the Spirit, if we're following uh, the Spirit's leading in our lives, we are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so uh, when we see there that the Spirit bears witness that we're children of god we have to ask well how is that just saying that the spirit kind of gives us a fuzzy feeling inside oh you you know you're you're god's child of course not it's saying that the spirit leads us and sanctifies us and as we see that uh, work of the spirit in our lives we can be assured that we have the indwelling holy spirit and therefore we are a child of god Uh, let's jump down to verse 28 we'll see the conclusion of this paul says we know that for those who love god all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Uh, verse 28 is often quoted in isolation. Right? We love that verse. Oh, God works all things together for us for good, uh, but we don't read the rest of it, which defines what he's talking about. Okay, God works all things together for good, and the good is conformity to the image of Christ, verse 29. Those that he foreknew, those that he called as, as children, and he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his Son. And so everything that God is doing in our life is for our ultimate good, meaning not for our happiness or for our, you know, everything is just going to work out the way that we would want it to. That's not the point. The point is that everything is working out for you to be made more like Christ. Every, every circumstance God brings in your life, uh, every hardship, every trial—it's all uh, supposed to be making you more like Christ, and that is the best good uh, that any of us could seek after, right? Uh, God gets to define what good is for us. We don't just kind of pick that for ourselves. Uh, you know, we think, "Well, what would be great is if I had all of this money and all of this, you know, whatever." Uh, That's not what Romans 8.28 is saying. Romans 8.28 is saying that everything God does in our life is to make us more like Christ if we will simply follow the Spirit's leading. Okay, let's circle back around now to Galatians 5. A few more things to say about the fruit of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit. Uh, Verse 22, fruit of the Spirit, notice love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. First of all, let me just point out something that Is obvious, except it wasn't until somebody pointed it out to me. Uh, We tend to grow in each of these areas as we experience situations in which they are difficult. Uh, Meaning, you know, how do we grow in patience? By having to endure people or things that try our patience. Uh, How do we grow in our joy? Not by everything going well, but by difficult situations and maintaining a joyful spirit even when things aren't going well. Uh, How do we grow in self-control when we're in situations where it's hard to control ourselves? And so uh, trials is one of the main ways that the Spirit works in our life to make us more like Christ. When we're dealing with difficult situations, or I would say especially difficult people, uh, we should view that as an opportunity for spiritual growth. That is a chance to stretch and grow our spiritual muscles. And then one more thing on the, the fruit of the Spirit there in Galatians 5. Isn't it interesting how similar they are? Uh, patient, kind, gentle, self-controlled, sorry self-controlled, uh, joyful, loving. Uh, there is an overall attitude here. People who are being led by the Spirit uh, are easier to get along with. They are kind to others. That's basically all of that boiled down. And the more that this is true in each one of us, the more this good attitude should be manifest in our church as well. Uh, I believe that most of the problems faced in churches are a result of people who are not following the leading of the Holy Spirit. When you and I have some sort of issue in the church, uh, one of us is likely not being filled with the Spirit. I understand there's maybe some situations in which that doesn't apply, Um, but if we have this attitude of joy and kindness and gentleness and patience and love toward one another, uh, doesn't that just pretty much solve all of the problems that might come up in our relationships? Uh, Jude 18, they say to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Notice the people causing divisions are said to be devoid of the Spirit. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. He continues on from there. There seems to be this connection between joy and being uh, led by the Holy Spirit. That is, when a church is made up of Spirit-filled people, there is a pleasant Spirit in and among that church. You see this all throughout the book of Acts, right? Where there's a big emphasis on the Holy Spirit's uh, filling, and that produces unity in the church. Uh, over and over, you'll see statements throughout Acts like, The churches had rest. There was peace among the brethren. Things like that, where they just they were unified as a, as a church because they were all following the leading of the Spirit. A couple things quickly. 1 Thessalonians 1 6, again, this connection between joy and the filling of the Spirit. Uh, Paul says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So they're in this affliction, in this trial, and yet they're maintaining joy by the Holy Spirit's filling. If a church is following the Spirit's leading, there should be a spirit of joy and unity in that church. And the ultimate expression of that spirit, that attitude, is our praise. Uh, again, a very tight connection throughout the New Testament between singing and being filled with the Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so singing from our hearts to the Lord, giving thanks to God for everything, this is evidence that a church is being led by the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, I think that's as far as we'll get here. That's going to basically wrap up our study of the Spirit. Uh, Next week we're going to be moving on to creation. So like I said last week, kind of a radical left turn to a totally different subject than what we've been talking about. But uh, any lingering questions you have about the Holy Spirit? Catherine. Hmm, that's a good question. I have to think about that more. Um, <clears throat> my first instinct is that it is, you know, I do think it is a daily decision. But is there a point in time at which we've <clears throat> quenched the Spirit so much that essentially we've silenced Him and we're no longer sensitive to His leading? I, I feel like the answer to that has to be yes, but no scripture is coming to mind right away. Um, But it is, I do think this is one reason Paul is so uh, sensitive to Christian conscience. It's it's funny when you read uh, Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians 9 about the eating of meat and things. uh, Paul has a pretty strong opinion on that, right? I mean, he says it in those verses like, yeah, it's fine to eat meat. This was a controversy in the early church. Some believers felt guilty about eating this meat that was previously offered to idols. And Paul says, well, idols aren't real. The meat's fine. Go ahead and eat it. But he says, don't do it in the presence of your brother. Uh, If it's a violation of your conscience, don't do it. You think, well, if it's not wrong, you know, who cares if you feel weird about it at first? But Paul seems to really place a heavy emphasis on don't violate your conscience. That's a bad habit to get into. Um, And I think there's, it's difficult sometimes to discern what's the Holy Spirit and what's just a sensitive conscience. You know, what do we feel? Sometimes we feel something is wrong just because of the way we were brought up. Um, and there's nothing really in Scripture that says it's wrong. <clears throat> um, so, you know, where do you draw those lines? Well, obviously, Scripture has to be our guide. We have to have a conscience informed by Scripture. But Paul does really have a high regard for conscience. And in, in other words, he, he's, he warns of the dangers of um, habitually violating your conscience. Um, so I know it's kind of tangential to what you asked about, but I think it is similar with the Holy Spirit. We don't want to get in the habit of, Uh, quenching the Spirit, silencing Him such that at some point we just don't even hear His voice anymore. Um, But I'll have to think about that more and give you a better answer.